Hey everyone, it's Pastor Micah, lead pastor here at High Praise Crestview. I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from today and go connect with us on social media as well. My prayer is that as you listen to this message, you're encouraged, blessed, and transformed by the power of the Word of God. Now open your heart and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you today. Come on and give Jesus praise. Oh, let's just lift our hands one more time. You know, three years is a big deal, and I'll tell you why in a moment when you sit down, but let's just worship him. Father, we thank you. Jesus, you've done great and mighty things. And we know that all this has been just a foundation for the new season of what you're doing in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the governing word over this church. Thank you for a fresh anointing over this place. And we just give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. Come, Holy Spirit, in every and any way you want to. It's your house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Yeah, praise God. Man, it's just such an honor to be here. Uh, Pastor Micah and Pastor Chelsea have been dear to us uh, literally all of his life. And uh, we're just so excited for you. I don't think sometimes that you realize who you have in your midst. uh, Because uh, Pastor Micah and Pastor Chelsea, they're wonderful people. And they have a tremendous anointing on their lives. I mean, I'm blown away because I used to watch him play the drums. And now I'm seeing him on keyboard. And I think he can do the cymbals between his knees. And uh, anyway, the one-man band thing. Anyway, we're just so honored to be with you. Uh, Before I get started, I just want to tell you a little bit about us. So my wife and I started our church 33 years ago. Uh, in Ocala, Florida, we were uh, youth pastors in a church of 7,000 in Orlando, and we were sent out in 1990, and uh, and we thought it was going to be great. Some of you have heard of uh, Benny Hinn. We were Benny Hinn's youth pastors in the 80s, so that's how uh, far back we go. He raised us up from the insurance business into ministry, and uh, I know the young people today don't even know who... They think Benny Hanna, Benny Hill, Benny Hinn. Benny. Anyway, uh, but Benny Hinn was uh, the, one of the biggest pastors in Florida at that time and a great and mighty man of God. We were sent out. And I'll just be honest with you. If somebody would have told us what we were going to face the first three years of, of starting a church, uh, I would have said, I'll go back in the insurance business. <clears throat> because I didn't realize, you know, a three-year anniversary is a big, big deal. And we are so honored to be with you. listen to this, 90% of new church plants fail within the first three years. 90%. I'm glad nobody told me that. I hope you didn't know that. So so you've already overcome so much just to get where you are. Our first three years, we went through what I call, uh, the Lord kind of prophetically defined it for us, fighting for your right to exist. The Bible says in Revelation that the, that the enemy, the serpent, is waiting for the birth of a new baby to destroy it when it's young. And that's exactly what happens in the church. And so just by getting to the three-year mark, you've already hit some stuff. You've already 
You've already had war declared against you. Principalities and powers are already ticked off that you that you're here. And they think they can take you out in the first three years. But I got news for you. After three years, when you hit that mark, it's kind of a line of demarcation that you have now won your right to exist. And now you're going for possessing the land and taking territory. Now's when you're going to do that. So for every purpose, God has a place. And I just came to prophesy to you today, Lord, but this is not in my message. I'm just, I wrote some stuff on the front row during worship because I felt God speaking in my heart. Jacob, the Bible says, on his first night out, leaving his family and getting out on the road, the Bible says he came to a certain place. And it says that three times in this passage in Genesis 28, he came to a certain place. He didn't just go any place. He didn't just go every place. He came to a certain place. And the Bible says in that place, he laid his head on a rock and dreamed a dream. And in that dream, he saw a ladder that connected heaven and earth. And he saw angels going up and coming back down. That's very important because angels are helping us here. They're just going up for reinforcements and for you know for refreshments. They're not. They're, they're, they are. They're going up and coming back down. And the Bible describes the kingdom of God in that way. He has this vision of the kingdom, and he sees the local church. The first time the word church is mentioned in Scripture is in Genesis 28, where Jacob sees this ladder. And it's ascending to heaven, and it's connecting heaven and earth. And he's and he and and in that place, the Lord speaks to him and says, "I'm listen. I'm the God of your grandfather Abraham. I'm the God of your daddy Isaac, and I want to be your God in the same way." It's a generational word, a generational blessing that comes down and says, uh, "God says I'm going to reveal myself to you in this place." Jacob wakes up. He says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the gateway between heaven and earth. And I didn't, he said, God is here, and I didn't even recognize it when I laid my head on that rock. By the way, how poor do you have to be to use a rock as a pillow? And in that place, he says, I shall call this place Bethel, the house of the Lord. And he makes a covenant with God and he makes a tithing covenant. You read the scripture, he makes a tithing covenant with God. This isn't a tithing message, but he makes a tithing covenant with God. He said, God, you promise to bring me back here to your house, and I promise you I will surely give a tenth of all of my life to you. In that place, he experiences the glory of God. I tell you what, as I came in this place, I'm appreciative of the space you have and the space you're filling with two services. Every great church in the world has multiple services. One of the key things to being a great church instead of an average church is that you pay the price to go to multiple services, two services. In that place, that's a growing pain. And you wonder if everybody's going to even show up. But you do it by faith. And in this place, there is growth. Now, the measure of the growth of needing a new place is not what's happening in this room. Our, our generation, back in the day, we thought it was about us. It's not about us. It's about children and grandchildren. It's about your sons and your daughters. My wife and I have two children. They're both grown. They both married strong people in the church. They are all in ministry together with us today, 
and our son runs, as Pastor Micah said, his own company called Proton Global Media Group. That he is one of the leading systems integrators of church technology on the East Coast. It's unbelievable. His company has exploded and doubled in size every year since 2019. And unbelievable things are happening with him. And our daughter-in-law is a top nurse in our community. And they have two daughters, Mila and Alana, eight and five. And then our daughter and son-in-law are our youth pastor and children's pastor. And they have three kids. Our oldest grandson is now 14. And he just became as tall as I am. And he wears size 12 and a half shoes like me. He takes, he's got my shoes. Literally, he's walking in my shoes now. Anyway, the, the, the point is, when you only see what's in the room for adults, you miss out on what God's doing in the church. So the, to us, the measure of when we need space, and we just finished a building two Sundays ago. We just had our building dedication two weeks ago, and we didn't build a new sanctuary. We built a whole new family life center for children and classrooms and ministry. And I'm telling you, the, the way you need to push the walls out and find a place, a new place, a new certain place in this community is not going to be just for you. It's going to be for the children. It's going to be give them more space because that's the measure of the growth of the church. Children, youth, young adults. Because God is raising a new generation. Amen? Well, thank you for that kindness in my intro. But anyway, uh, let's get right into the Word of God. How many of you love the Word of God? Amen. Today, I want to talk to you. My message is called, Get in the Game. Get in the Game. I want to talk about positioning the church for breakthrough. There's a great passage in 2 Kings chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you from the message uh, translation today. It's a paraphrase. But uh, Elisha, the prophet Elisha, the man of the double portion, he's in a place where there's a famine. And Israel is going through, and, and, and it's an intense famine. I'll describe it. How, in a few moments how, how desperate the times are. <clears throat> but the inflation has gone crazy. Everything's gone nuts. Uh, high gas prices back in Israel. You, it's, you, it's, everything's going on. And they, they, they reach this certain place of desperation. And Elisha steps up and prophesies to the capital city, to the nation, to Jerusalem. He, said, he, he makes this prophetic de declaration, and he says, about this time tomorrow, things are going to change. About this time tomorrow, things are going to shift one day from now. And at that point, I'm telling you, people are, they're selling, um, they're, they're paying gold and silver for garbage, to eat garbage, basically. It's that desperate. And the Bible says that a man on whose hand the king leaned, he was the, the gatekeeper of the city, looked at Elisha when he said it, and he said, it'll never happen. He basically says, when donkeys fly, as we say in the south. And Elisha looked at him and said, okay, sir, because you said that, you're going to see this happen with your eyes, but you're not going to get to eat of it. You better be careful when God's speaking, better be careful what you're saying. Now, what I want to talk to you today is about how the miracle manifests, because it did happen. A huge breakthrough happened in 24 hours, and it was a process of breakthrough. I want to read to you from 2 Kings chapter 7, because it's who God uses to bring about breakthrough is always kind of mind-boggling. By the way, I want to say, not only happy third anniversary, 
but happy first Sunday of NFL. It is a great day to be here. I see some Bears fans here ready for their Cheesehead victory. Anyway. Oh, we got Cheeseheads. Oh, we got other people praying right here. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't mean to make anybody mad. Listen, I was, uh, I was praying for the Seminoles because I'm not one. But I was praying for the Seminoles that they'd have victory, so y'all be in a good mood this week. Anyway, by the way, I, we didn't know about the orange thing. And my wife and I both have orange in our clothes. Like, it's a, it's a Holy Ghost day, you know? Anyway, anyway, God confirms it with everything. So, who God uses to bring about the breakthrough is what I want to talk to you about. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3 from the message says this. And it happened. I love when the Bible starts out like this. And it happened, it came to pass, that four lepers were sitting just outside the city gate. They said to one another, what are we doing sitting here at death's door? If we enter the famine-struck city, we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's take our chances in the camp of Aram and throw ourselves on their mercy. If they receive us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. Listen to this. We've got nothing to lose. Everybody say nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. I want to read one more scripture from Romans chapter 12, verse 3. From the New King James says this, For I say to the grace given me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Let's pray one more time. God, would you open the eyes of our heart today to hear the word of the Lord, to respond to it, and to move strong in faith and victory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You know, God uses some really unlikely people. In case you haven't noticed, he has a sense of humor. Um, he doesn't, somebody once said he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. When I told my wife we were 22 years old and I said to her, I believe I'm called to ministry, she said, that's wonderful, but you married the wrong girl. She said, I don't sing, I don't play the piano, and that's what we thought a pastor's wife did back in the day. We thought that that's the limitation of what a pastor's wife would just sit over and look pretty take care of children and sing in the choir and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's just not true. Thank God for co-pastors. Thank God for Pastor Chelsea Gay serving with her husband. That's a great sign of a healthy church, by the way, because you get that balance and that influence. When my wife and I started our church 33 years ago, the church we came out of and churches we'd been in didn't believe in women in ministry. And so, and God spoke to us that we were a team, and we didn't know what that was. We didn't even know what that meant. When, I, when we first started the church, our building was smaller than this. Uh, we were in a little warehouse. We were in a little portion of a warehouse. And um, I would say, honey, come up and greet the people in the microphone. She'd say, no, 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 thank you. Now she, in two Sundays from now, I'm going to be preaching for the first time in Cuba and she's going to be preaching in our pulpit two weeks from day once again. She preaches and preaches the house. And she's a great teacher, and I'm so grateful. God can use unlikely people in unlikely situations to bring about a shift and a change. And when God wants to say something, he wants to do something. When he wants to do something, he always starts with a word. Every, everything begins with one word from God. One thought, one word, one thought from the throne can change your life, can shift you. One scripture verse, one promise, yes, sir. 
can ignite in your spirit and, and do something inside of you that you can never be talked out of. Thank God for the word of the Lord. Thank God for his power. But I want you to know today that four outsiders with nothing to lose can change the world. You ever feel like an outsider? So, you know, back, back in, 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 in previous as we, you know, uh, holidays are coming up. We still show our grandkids now the old uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation, you know, and the Island of Misfit Toys. You know, here's an elf who wants to be a dentist, you know. Doesn't fit in anywhere. All these toys, misfit toys on their own. Sometimes I felt growing up like I was the misfit toy. Like I, I kind of, I thought I could fit, but I just didn't quite fit with them. I didn't fit with, I, 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 was, I was a weird kid. I didn't, I hung out with the burnouts, but I didn't fit in with the burnouts. I hung out with the band because I had played an instrument, but I didn't fit in with the band. I was editor-in-chief of the school paper, but a bunch of my school paper people were a bunch of nerds. I didn't fit in with them either. I just was a person looking for my tribe, looking for my niche, looking for my purpose. And I didn't know Jesus. I, was, I grew up every Sunday of my life in church, uh, First Methodist, then, then Presbyterian church. My parents are both uh, teachers and musicians, and so we went where they had the best choir. Uh, it didn't matter if they had a great youth group or not, unfortunately. And uh, I would say it's, it's better to choose uh, a place that's got uh, great music, but also great youth group, you know, great, great young people ministry. Because the, the, the future is dependent on what you do for the next generation. And so we would, we would go around, and, and I, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior until I was 19. And I, you know, I, I remember hearing things at church growing up as a youth. I didn't hear the gospel. I don't remember. My parents tell me they preached the gospel, but I heard great oratory about, uh, uh, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's great. That's the words of Jesus. But it doesn't save you. Right? Be kind, courteous to others. Save the whales. This is the, this is the earth-shattering revelation I remember from the Presbyterian Church. Not complaining about anybody, but I just didn't hear the gospel until I until I cried out to God at nineteen when I got myself in a little bit of a situation. I said, God, if you're real, my I, I had one spirit-filled person in our family. Uh, my mother's sister lived in New Jersey, and she was filled with the Holy Ghost a prayer warrior, and we called her my crazy aunt from New Jersey. And my parents would scoff at her all the time because she was in all these prayer meetings all the time. But I noticed something as a teenager that uh, when we got into trouble, when there was a situation happened in our family, when we had an urgent situation, an emergency, we never called the Presbyterian Church for prayer, ever, once. Not once. We called my crazy aunt from New Jersey every time. And my, I'd say, why are we doing that? You just joked about her last week. And my mom would say, well, she's got a hotline to heaven. Years later, I got the same hotline. Praise God. <laughs> thank, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. You know, sometimes, and I don't know how it is in Crestview. It's my first time here. I, I was kind of amazed when we pulled off the interstate and saw all the new construction, all the new plazas and buildings and businesses because they don't put those uh, in hick towns. They don't, they don't, they don't put those in, in, in one-horse towns. They don't. They, they don't. That means you are emerging. 
as a community, and this, this community is not yet what God has shown it to be yet. It's still coming into it, and I believe the high praise is part of that. Part of recognizing the purpose for this city. God has a redemptive purpose for every place. And for every purpose, he has a place. And I believe there's a new place for this purpose. I don't know if it's this week, this month, this year. But I'm telling you, there's something bigger, better, or an enlargement coming. And I see it as clearly as I am here. And sometimes what we get in the island of misfit toys is what I call small town-itis. Small town-itis is you start feeling all these limitations and people limit what they think you can do by, based on your geography. Yeah. We still have people, uh, I was going through uh, TSA checking in at the airport in Orlando a few months ago and uh, the TSA saw my license said Ocala, Florida and he said, uh, oh, you're from Slocala. I said, no, sir, I'm from Ocala. I didn't want him to arrest me. I was trying to be respectful. But a lot of people, they, they thought of Ocala as a as horse country. It's the horse capital of the world. Thoroughbred horses are bred there. So it's thought of as a farming community, and it's much more than that. And we've been seeing it that way for years and years and years. God wants to do something beyond your small town-itis. And the life of faith isn't a spectator sport. It's not here for, the pe for people to just do the happy clappings. And I love that you're clapping here. But if all you do is happy clappy and you never plant your life and get involved in serving and honoring, then what happens is you start looking around and think, well, that works for somebody else. No, the life of faith is, is, is about getting in the game. It's not sitting on the bench. It's not about just training for the game. It's about getting in the game. What's the measure of a person's life that they actually lived and not just existed? As Christ followers, we believe in something called destiny or divine purpose. God's purpose is never fulfilled by what you do for yourself alone. Though. It's about the legacy of what you build or accomplish that benefits other people. You were born, listen, you were born for an impact. You were born to make a difference in somebody's life. And the fact of the matter is that you can reach people that pastors Micah and Chelsea can't reach because, because they have the title pastor. Somebody already switches them off. But you have a ministry. You have a calling. You have a destiny. It's not just about pulpit ministry. It's about serving in the body and serving outside the body. Paul the Apostle said this way, whether in the body or out of the body, I did not know. The reality is that in the church and outside the church, you have a destiny and a purpose. You have different gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given you for the benefit of his house, and then that through his house, you would reach a lost and hurting world. And I submit to you that it's not, the lost and hurting people are not far away from this house. I bet you could drive, draw a circle of one mile around this building and you could find a whole lot of people that had a very rough night last night. You could find abused people. You could find addicted people. You could find broken people. And here you are, a city set on a hill, and you can't be hidden. In the biblical account of the famine of Israel, the conditions were unimaginable. They're so gross, I, don't even, I won't even go into all of it. But there was so little food that people that had money 
were paying huge amounts of gold and silver to eat donkey's heads. Literally, that's what it says. And I won't even tell you, well, I'll tell you. The scripture says they were eating donkey's heads and dove's dung. Okay? That's bird stuff that lands on your car. Everything doesn't taste better when it sits on a Ritz. They were eating that stuff and paying gold because they were starving to death. Not only that, they were cannibalizing their children. They were cannibalizing. And I submit to you, spiritually, a lot of what's happening in America is doing the same thing. Sacrificing our children, the next generation, and what they're going to have for the here and now to play political head games. And I'm not going to get in. I don't talk politics at church. Politics, listen, it's, politics is made up of two ancient words. Poly, meaning many, and ticks are blood-sucking insects. I don't talk about that. So politics... I don't, I don't get into all that. We, we pray for political leaders. We support political leaders we agree with. But let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is bigger. And the church will go on no matter what they do. The church has survived all kinds of fascism and leftism and rightism and thisism and thatism. The church has survived for 2,000 years. And it's not about to go down now. In fact, our best days are just ahead, which is why you need more space. People were miserable, starving to death, desperate people doing desperate things. And suddenly the word of the Lord came through a prophet named Elisha, the double portion prophet. And he says a major breakthrough is coming in 24 hours. There's about to be a turnaround. And the source that God used to produce the national breakthrough was crazy. In the cultural order of Israel, widows and orphans would be at the bottom of the food chain and only below, the only people below widows and orphans in having a future were lepers. They were literal outcasts, cast out of families, cast out of cities, cast out of sight. They were not allowed to come into the city. They had to stay outside the gates or they would be stoned to death. They'd be killed. They had leper colonies. If anybody's ever seen modern leprosy, it still exists. I've seen it in India. The two times I've been to India, I've seen people. Leprosy uh, in the Bible correlates with sin. But let me tell you the effects of leprosy even in modern day India and other places. I mean, people's fingers just, just start receding. It's the weirdest thing. Noses gone. Parts of the body just disappearing. It's the weirdest disease you've ever seen. And these people, when you got leprosy, it didn't matter if you were a king or a judge or an important person or a rich person, you were out. And you were considered no longer human or worthless humans. But how many know there's no worthless humans to God? These were the ultimate outsiders. They had no dreams. They had no hope. And if the rich people are eating donkey's heads and dove's dung, by the way, donkey's head, a donkey's head prophetically, a donkey speaks of stubbornness. If you're eating a donkey's head, you're eating the fruit of your own stubbornness. If you're eating, listen, dove droppings are what you have when the dove has been there but flew away. You've lost the spirit. 
You've lost the Holy Spirit. You've, you've allowed him to go from your life. This, these are the prophetic signs that were in Israel, and it was going down for the count. Yeah. I'm talking about just a couple elements of spiritual breakthrough. You've got to break the fear. You've got to get beyond your personality. These four guys are sitting there with no dreams and no hope, and one guy has a bright idea. Why are we sitting here till we die? If the other people are eating gross, these guys are eating drug worms or nothing. They're, they're, you, this, it just, they're lost all hope, and suddenly the one guy says, why are we sitting here till we die? Guys, we got nothing to lose. One of the great things about having a church that's three years old is you, you're still in that place where you kind of feel like, I don't have anything to lose. I don't, you know, we don't, we don't have a lot. 33 years, we have 24 acres of land. We have to remind our people all the time, we still have to live with that nothing to lose mentality. Just because we got four or five million dollars worth of buildings and 24 acres of land on a, on a major highway doesn't mean we've arrived. We're still pursuing the kingdom and building for the next generation. It's not about what, it, it's not about patting yourself on the back and resting on your laurels. But in order to do this, you've got to stop waiting for someone else to make your life count. In order to break through, somebody's got to the place where they weigh it all out. You know, we live in an age of misplaced values. Think about it. Without thinking, without really considering it, a lot of people would rather have some kind of condition where they can get a handicapped parking sticker so they can park close up to Publix than they would to have great health and spring in their step as they get older to be able to park in the back and walk. That's misplaced values. I'm 62 years old. I'm thankful to be able to walk and move. I sprained my knee a few months ago, and I had new compassion for people who walk different because I, could, I had such pain for about three months. But God wants to do something with your walk to change the world. You gotta be willing to take action. You gotta stop waiting. Listen, we live in an age where we want everybody to like us all the time so much that we're waiting for them to tell us when it's time to get up and do something for God. When we get all the likes, but my friend, when you get too many likes, you better check your rearview mirror and find out what's happening. Because it, it, if God likes what I'm doing, if I'm obeying him, that's the key to the breakthrough. If I, if I get too popular, uh, you know, I'm, I may be in trouble. But you got to take action. It's a mistake to build your own identity out of human validation. Doesn't matter what other people think. The poor leper in death went, behold, the bright idea. Why are we sitting here till we die? Let's try something risky. And what was the idea? Let's walk down toward the enemy's camp. Maybe they'll have some food and take compassion on us lepers. I want to say this to you. God has a process for your progress. He'll never give you anything you're not ready to handle. If you'll grow in management and enlarge your capacity to manage something, God will give you more to manage. If you keep a grateful heart, he'll entrust you with more. These four lepers are up there, and all of a sudden they say, well, let's... Let's just walk that way. And the Bible says something powerful happens in the story. You can read it later. <clears throat> As they began to walk, the Bible says the enemy didn't hear the sound of four guys tippy-toeing through the tulips. Right. 
The Bible says that the enemy's camp said, do you hear that? That's the sound of an army. And they're marching on us with all kinds of uh, armaments and horses and chariots. We're about to be invaded. The second part you have to understand is this. God takes your small steps and amplifies them. Every small step you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every vow you take, he'll be with you. Anyway. God takes your small steps. What, three people to call the police? So that as they walked, the Syrian army heard the sound of horses and chariots and thought it was armies working for Israel. They became so afraid, they ran away on foot. They fled. They left all their stuff. They left a whole this food, this gourmet stuff. They left gold and silver and changes of clothes. Listen to this in 2 Kings 7 from the message, verse 6. The master had made the army of Aram hear the sound of horses and a mighty army on the march with four guys walking. Four people obeying the unction of the Spirit of God. Sounded like an army. Listen to this. They told one another, the army did, the king of Israel hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. They imagined whole other nations were about to invade them. Panic, it says. They ran for their lives through the darkness, abandoning tents, horses, donkeys. The whole camp, just as it was, running for dear life. These four lepers entered the camp and went into a tent, and first they ate and drank. These four guys starving to death. The whole nation is starving. They get there. Hello? Anybody home? There's nobody here. Where's the chow hall? Where's the, where's the tent where the food is at? And they did what starving people do. They sat down and they pigged out. They, they talk about Sonny's barbecue, whatever you want to call it. They're just like, get it. And in one of the most impoverished times in Israeli history, these four lepers suddenly became abundant from famine to feast and instantly became gourmets. They were enjoying the best. A couple more things and I'm through. God enjoys transforming misfits into mavericks. Misfits into mavericks. Right now, uh, we just had a, a new baby born in our church and they named him Maverick. It's our second maverick in the church. We got this, you know, with uh, with Top Gun being out again a couple years ago. Now everybody's naming their their kid Maverick, but Maverick literally means unorthodox, unconventional, a trendsetter, someone who's willing to step out and do something different. That's what God is looking for. Do you do you think God went first of all to the lepers? I believe He probably went to some really high quality, conventional people that were in the city, and they wouldn't do it. These guys finally said, we got nothing to lose. Let's obey God. Our God can utilize anybody who surrenders to him. But listen to this. What you activate must be shared with others. What you activate must be shared with others. Listen to this. Let me read you from verse 8, 2 Kings 7, message. These four lepers entered the camp, went into a tent, first they ate and drank. Then they grabbed silver, gold, and clothing, and went off and hid it. 
Then they came back, entered another tent, and looted it, again, hiding their plunder. Finally, they said to one another, wait a minute, we shouldn't be doing this. This is a day of good news. Everybody say good news. This is a day of good news. We're making it into a private party. If we wait around until morning, we're going to get caught and punished. Come on, let's go tell the news to the king's palace. My friends, what God wants to do in this generation is too good to hide. It's too good to just consume on yourself. God doesn't deal, God's math is not a pie. Where if somebody, you know, gets your piece of the pie, if somebody gets a piece of the pie, there's none left for you. That's not God's system. That's the world system. Moving on up. Anyway, so five people remember the Jeffersons. My gosh, I've, see, I always forget how old I am anyway. My friends, there's no such thing as a selfish hero. God's breakthrough is always more than enough to spread the love around. And if four lepers can save a nation, what can you do? What can you do if you're sold out to what God wants to do through the local church? What can you do? It's time to get off the bench and get in the game. What happened, by the way, the word Lord was fulfilled. There was such a stampede of people going down to the camp of the enemy and taking back all their arms full of food and clothes, gold and silver, such wealth and abundance. As they ran back, the man who said it could never happen till donkeys fly got run over. <laughs> Read the scripture. He got run over by the riotous mob who was bringing stuff back to the city. And he saw the breakthrough with his eyes, but he never got to eat of it or taste one bite of all the good things God wanted to do. The measure of a person's life is what kind of difference they make in the lives of others. What or who did you live for? What was your cause? It's time to get out of the bleachers and get back in the game. It's no time for a private party. Real quickly, I just want to tell you, uh, I wrote a book uh, a year ago and just came out a few months ago. It's called Unstuck. This is... Um, this is not a theological book. This is a, this is a conversation where I kind of share uh, some of our journey from, from Presbyterian to Pentecost, from uh, you know nominal Christian to on fire, from looking for my life's work to finding the call of God in ministry, and also uh, it's a story of a, a quest to go to nations and preach the gospel. At 25 years old, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I was just learning to hear his voice and said, I've called you to go to the nations. You'll go to at least 100 nations and preach. Uh, when I go to Cuba in a week and a half, it'll be my 83rd country. And I can't believe it. It's been a lifetime pursuit. I can't believe it's been. It's, we're, I'm getting closer and closer to that word being accomplished while I'm still a young man. That was a place to say amen. Anyway, uh, the book is, is, uh, is on Amazon, you know, it's on Amazon for 20 bucks. But I brought a few copies here. Be happy to meet you at the book table and sign some copies. But uh, I, we use it in our church as a tool for evangelism. So um, if you want to buy a book today, it's called Unstuck. How many of those stuck people? How many of people that are stuck? That need, they need help getting out. 
if they'll read the first two chapters even of this book. So people, people God will use it. We've had a lot of things happening in our church and around the world through the book. We're hearing testimonies. So it's called Unstuck, Break Free, Rise Up, Launch Out. Um, you can get it today for 15 bucks instead of going to Amazon and, and, and getting it for 20. We'll give you $15, but here's the deal. I want, to, I want to bless you. I had a few left over from when I was at High Priest, Panama City the other night. And uh, we, can, we can do this for you where if you'll give out a couple of books and see it now, we'll do one for 15, but we'll do three for 30. Three for 30 bucks. That's, that's like my cost. But we just want to get these books out into the right hands because God is always looking for people who will use a tool to get into somebody's hand and say, hey, look, I recognize you're stuck. You're going through some stuff. But I'm telling you, if you'll read this, if you'll read it and, and get into it and be open to what God is saying, I believe he can change someone's life. Amen? It's time to get out of the stands, get off the bench. It's time to get back in the game. I want to pray for you real quick. Let's bow your head and close your eyes if you would. Father, I just thank you for being in this place. Thank you for open hearts and open doors. Now, Lord, maybe there's someone here that came in today that doesn't know you in a real way, in a dynamic way, in a life-giving way. Holy Spirit, I ask you to arrest that heart right now with your loving conviction and hope for change. Lord, I pray for anyone addicted, anyone bound here today, anyone sitting here feeling condemned. Lord, there's no condemnation in Christ. But today we release your loving conviction that draws us to a place called repentance. Come, Holy Spirit. Touch lives, touch hearts. Bless high praise on this third anniversary. Let this mark this moment in time where they go from where they've been fighting for that right to exist. We declare your glory over them to take territory, to possess the land, to rise up and strengthen and power. And we speak to the area, to the region right here. And we say, give up the people of God. Don't hold them back. North, south, east, and west. Release the people of God. Release the sons and daughters that are supposed to be in this house. Even this week, anoint and empower these people to bring a shift and a change to the world around them. Every place they go, every place they work, they are. Use them as a light of the world and the salt of the earth. If you can use those leprous men, God, would you take our walk this week and magnify it to become the sound of the mighty earth.